On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about cannabis, not smoking it, talking about it, because there was supposed to be a gold mine immediately when the cannabis trade became legal in this country. So why are so many places involved, seemingly struggling? Marvin Ryder will be talking about that. And Don Robertson joins us. We're going to be chatting about the Leafs, about outdoor games, I don't know, other stuff too. Lots to do with sports. Maybe a little bit about his Dundas Real McCoys. You never know. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Uh, Whether or not you're a big fan of legalized cannabis, I think most people who watch this play out over the last 13 months, well, two years really, it's about 12 months and a little bit now that it's been legalized, but it's been a longer process. We all thought this was going to be a massive moneymaker and it still may be. And for some of us, that was a bit of a concern because with this product so understudied, relatively speaking, and so little really known about it, and we've talked to experts who have been on here saying this is not a product we know everything about yet, uh, making it widely accessible to everybody was a little troubling. However, something kind of funny has happened on the way to this being Canada turning into the bong show, uh, the industry hasn't seemed to explode in the way many people thought it would. A month ago, we heard the government, the Ontario government lost $42 million selling cannabis, recreational cannabis in the first year. Then we saw the player's paradise. If you're driving towards Niagara on the highway, on the QEW, it's the big white soccer place uh, that had been bought by a company that was going to turn it into a giant grow operation, decide, no, we're not going to turn it into a giant grow operation. And then this week, a cannabis operation in Beamsville just shut down, putting 100 people out of work. And it makes me wonder, how is this happening? Because this was supposed to be the biggest growth industry, biggest growth opportunity seemingly in Canada. And it doesn't sound like that's happening anyway. Uh, Marvin Ryder from the Groot School of Business joins us, who, by the way, was just on CHH. He's on his tour of interviews right now, racing all around the city. I don't Do you have like a red flashing light in the I car? Do. The it's Marvin purple. Mobile? It's purple. It's purple. I can't, I can't emulate the emergency it, people. So that's true. The Marvin Mobile just drives. You'll see him driving. In. Anyway, uh, are you surprised this has seemingly stumbled out of the gate right. as it has? So let me, let me just give you a little context. I do this all the time. I dodge the first question to give you some context, and then I'll come back to it. Um, I have to remind everybody, this market became legal on October 1st last year, so we're not even quite at the 13-month point. First big milestone, $100 million a month was recorded in May. So it took seven months of this stuff to be legal for us to have one month where we did $100 million. Over the course Are of you the talking f- Ontario or Canada? That's in Canada. Okay. The end of this first year, and we haven't seen the final numbers yet, but we think in the first year the legal cannabis market is going to top a $1 billion dollars. But then to put that in context, in that same year, the illegal cannabis market did somewhere between 5 and $7 billion. So while the idea of legalizing cannabis was to get it out of the black market hands, legitimize it, control it, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, it hasn't happened at the p- speed we thought it would, in part because while it's legal to grow the stuff and supply the stuff, people have been very reluctant to open the stores. Again, to put it in context, by October 1st of this year, a year after it opened, 540 stores in Canada were selling cannabis. You with me so far? Yep. More than half of them, 280 of them, were located in Alberta. In Ontario and Quebec, the two largest provinces population-wise count for two-thirds of Canada's population. We had, wait for it, 45 stores. 
But you say reluctant. I remember the lottery coming up and there were hundreds of people who wanted to buy. So yes. are, is, are the people reluctant to open no. the stores or the province reluctant? The uh, province. The province has been very slow to act. And, and again, I'm not trying to blame Doug Ford. The previous government, remember we had an election in June of last year, the Liberal government was going to do this through the LCBOs and basically have one organization that knows how to do a controlled substance be the one to do it. And they had their plan, and Doug came in and said, no, I don't want that. I want this to be an opportunity for the little guy, and bravo to him uh, to help entrepreneurs. But they, they just cracked open the door. They started with 25 stores. Now, yes, we've had a lottery, and we're going to have 50 more by Christmas. But again, do the math. This is the largest market population-wise, 75 stores. Alberta, Alberta, which is a third of the size of our province, has something like 280 stores. But if we know that the number of stores is going to go up considerably, and presumably even up beyond that if the market will bear it, why are places like Players Paradise, I can't remember the name, that's just the name of the place, that's not the company, and the one in Beamsville pulling out already as opposed to saying, you know what, we may have to suffer for a little while here with some losses, but eventually this is going to be so huge, well, we want to be in business. Right. So I, again, different stories. The company out of Beansville, I believe the head office is called Hexo. Uh, for them, they threw a lot of resources to get started thinking this was really going to explode. It's, it's growing, but it's growing much slower than they expected. And so now what you have to do, if, if the revenues aren't coming in, you got to manage the cost side. And that's why they said, well, I guess we don't need you. I'm not sure for the one in the Players, pa- players Paradise, whether it was a license thing, they never got the license to grow it, or they didn't get a license to grow enough that they needed this gigantic facility. But, you know, if you give this market another three, four, five years, I think, yes, it will be a, a real money maker, And yes, I think it'll be on the three to four billion. But those people who used to try to project this just thought it was going to go bang much faster than it really has. The Players Paradise one, uh, according to the story in The Spectator, they are now the company that's behind it, Green Relief, uh, is now focusing purely on med, uh, on medical marijuana, they mm-hmm. say. So they, don't, they decided we're not even going to dive into the recreational stuff. And again, is that because so many growers jumped in immediately and the market is saturated? No, I don't, I don't feel the market is saturated, but I think it's just people had, had one kind of vision and then the reality has been different. Again, give you a quick example. Remember the company that's down in... Uh, not Welland, but that love Pelham, I think is the name of the town that it's in, Pelham. And uh, this was the company that uh, somehow or other they felt they could grow illegal marijuana in the same place they could grow legal marijuana. So they got some seeds on the black market, grew them and mixed them together. And, and again, Health Canada, who's regulating this, said, no, no, that can't be allowed. And they, they may well be forced to sh- shut down. So how do you take a an underground market that operated in the shadows suddenly make it legal? It hasn't gone as smoothly as people had hoped. And where was the place? Where was the Hershey plant? Was Smith, uh, Smith Falls? Smith or, Falls. And that was supposed to be the new world headquarters of, well, at least in Canada. And I haven't heard. Have they suffered or are they still going suffered. great guns? You know, they're, all these places are growing, but they're, many of them are not growing at the volume they need to break even. So this is the whole story. You know, I can have a business. I was just listening to a student presentation of a company that sold bakery goods, and they're doing $130,000, but for to break even, they've got to do 160000 How long can you wait? So some of these places didn't get enough permit to grow at a volume they can make money, and you can't bleed forever. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. In studio with Marvin Ryder, we are chatting about legalized, well, you know legalized marijuana, legalized cannabis is in place, but we're chatting about the fact that there seems to be a lot of bumps in the road here. This was going to be the, 
guaranteed gold mine. If you could somehow have a be involved in this industry somehow, you were just going to be sitting on a throne of money, not seeming to happen so much. And Marvin, one of the things that people are pointing to as we look at, as I say, this place in Beamsville shutting down this grow area and, and Players Paradise and all the rest is price point. Mm-hmm. Legal weed is still, because of taxes, considerably more expensive than if you still go to the black market. This was supposed to eliminate the black market, mm-hmm. but in basic economics, which is your forte, is it not always the case that if you're going to try and eliminate a competitor, you'd better come in at a at least a competitive, mm-hmm. if not better, price point? Right. So think of this for a moment as a two-horse race. Is it that the legal stuff is that much more expensive, or has the black market, in response to the legal stuff, cut their prices to make them look more attractive? And I think you've got a little bit of both going on here. The, the legal market, take Ontario as a great example of this. I mean, what do you do if you're Doug Ford? Do you want to be seen as cashing in on this? Do you really want to have a whole lot of people rushing out and buying it? So you're very cautious, and you're not, you're not as competitive as maybe you might be in three or four or five years because you don't want to be seen as cashing in. In the meantime, <laughs> the black market, so to speak, they don't want to see their market go away. And in fact, you've even got this interesting thing with some users who say, well, I want to do the right thing. I want to buy from the legal place, but my dealer is making me such a great offer. So I get a certain amount of the legal stuff and I get a certain amount of the illegal stuff and I'm patronizing both sides. And it's all part of the growing pains of this business. But is it, when you say, does Doug Ford or Trudeau or anyone else, do they want to look like they're cashing yeah. in? Is there anybody who doesn't believe ultimately that's why the government did? Do you, does anyone believe the government did this purely for philanthropic gesture? This was because it was going to be multi-billions of tax dollars that we could get to come in. Well, yeah, I don't know if it was ever, I don't know if it'll ever be multi-billions, that was but certainly thought. hundreds of millions of tax dollars. I, I'm going to give even Doug Ford and, and, and Justin Trudeau a little benefit of the doubt because the other issue was going on is the offenses. All these people who were arrested for having three ounces of marijuana. We're going to put them in jails. Do we want to build more jails? Is this really the same thing we want with a hardened criminal who's in there for stabbing or child molesting or something like this? And the feeling was it was kind of a victimless crime. And and again, I'm not trying to sound like I'm promoting this, but in the year and a month since it's become legal, uh, if you ask the police, they'll say they have not seen an epidemic of people drinking or not drinking, excuse me, driving under the influence. They've not seen an incident uh, of other kinds of fights and other things caused by all this. So some of the people who are worried that, oh, you legalize this, watch the whole fabric of society is going to unravel isn't the case. And I'll also share this with you. You know, in the year that's passed, I've made a point of going to the two legal places since I know people are going to ask me about it. And my God, I when I visit them, it strikes me as a retail store for people who don't want to sell the product they're selling. It looked to me like a bank. I went into the one in, in Dundas. It's bright. It's yellow. It's got lovely little pot lights. My, my assistant at the desk you know he how can i help you on your journey today he had a big on your journey sure on my journey what are you trying to accomplish (laughs) may i make a suggestion and then after if you had negotiated i didn't buy any but if you'd negotiate he actually goes back into a vault there's no product on display there is nothing you can grab there are no samples it looked to me like a bank and i thought well isn't that so typical of the way we're doing this we've got it all above board these are not those head shops you can remember from the 70s mm. and 80s with sketchy looking people and the smell of weed in the background and tie-dyed t-shirts everywhere it, it's very professional so it's just taking a while for everyone to sort out one of the things they also said was this will be safer the product will be more clean more yeah, we know. You know what you're getting. You know what you're getting, but again, I go back to the cost. 
in basic economics where cost is a matter, does it seem that you're either going to have better product or lower cost, but you're not necessarily going to be able to expect the consumer to look for both? Yeah, well, certainly the hope is if you keep increasing the volumes, you have what's called the economy of scale factor, and that should help bring the legal prices down as you start producing bigger and bigger volumes. Certainly from the other side, from the user side, a comment I've heard a lot is that the legal weed, if you'll call it that, is more potent. So given that they've got a uniform standard, it actually is a little more potent. So even the users have to adjust to it. And then maybe, Scott, I should also say that uh, October 1st of this year, we've opened another door, and that is to the market of edibles and consumable Mm -hmm. products. Uh, Today, if you visit any of these locations, they don't have any for sale. We think it won't happen until early 2020. The same growing pains. And nobody knows, do you want to buy cookies? Do you want to buy brownies? Do you want to buy cannabis-infused beer or soft drinks or kombucha? Who knows? And so, again, I think there's going to be a lot of experimenting, and there will be some people who will hit the nail on the head and have great success and others who will crash and burn, and that's the great thing about that free enterprise system. Ben, I think we have to keep that clip of Marvin Ryder, the professor from McMaster, talking about pot-infused kombucha. I think this is really <laughs> branching you out into yes. new, uh, a new market Boldly for your listeners. <laughs> Just before we do go, though, what, what does this say, the way this is going? We know there are some people that Prime Minister has not gone down this path, but about you know, some people would argue we should be legalizing all drugs. When you look at how this has gone and the industry here, and you're not the drug guy, you're the economics guy, mm-hmm. does this give us hope that this would be a workable plan if that ever happened? Leaving aside the health risks sure. and everything else, could this work? Well, I think so far it has shown that you, you can take some, some material that was considered illegal and in the right way make it legal and not affect the fabric of society. Now, I just don't know where you go next because anything else I can think of, cocaine, heroin, uh, um, yeah, now I can't think of it. Uh, opioids uh, crack, or crack, crack cocaine, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. the opioids. You know, wow, there's a, there seems to be much bigger health implications to the extent we knew about the marijuana and the cannabis, we didn't think there were going to be a lot of health implications, and we really haven't. Probably the closest thing we've got at the moment is vaping, mm. which uh, which was a product that was designed to help people get off of cigarettes, and instead we have a younger generation who's using it to get hooked on that as opposed to cigarettes. But, you know, I think all of these are growing pains, and it says we shouldn't be afraid of the unknown. We should enter it, but cautiously. Uh, learn and grow accordingly. And I, I'm still looking forward to it. Look, Martha Stewart is out now with a line of products for the, the food industry. Who knows who else is going to jump into it? Marvin Ryder. Well, I'm not saying you're going to jump in. That was not my answer to who's going to jump in. That was just the closing. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Thanks for popping in. Glad to be here. I don't know where your next interview is, but look for the flashing purple light over his car as he drives around. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We bring in Don Robertson. Of the Dundas Real McCoys, wearing his Dundas Real McCoys jersey today, not jersey, sweatshirt. Season getting started this Friday, right? Uh, home openers this Friday. Home we openers this Friday. Played two last week. And? Played in Brantford and got beat 3-2 in overtime. Um, Should have won it, missed an open net in overtime. They go down and score. Pretty typical. And we waltzed into the home of the Whitby Dunlops and beat them 8-5 Saturday night, so... It's, uh, it's a better start, and we have a lot more depth, which means we're not in big trouble when, you know, we go on the road and four or five guys aren't there. Four or five guys aren't there. The four or five guys that are 
replacing them are more than capable. So, well, you better have depth because you've got a big year coming up this year. You got uh, some tournament I heard at the end of the year. Yeah, the Allen Cup, April sixth uh, through eleventh. We're co-hosting with the Hamilton Steelhawks. Um, yeah, and that helps recruiting players. Um, you know, you talk to some veteran guys and some former pros we're talking to, and, and uh, as soon as you say Allen Cup, it's not like you need an explanation in the hockey world. It's the world's oldest national hockey championship, and, and guys that play the game know it, respect it, and uh, a lot of them want to win it. So I think the whole league is going to be much better this year. Well, there have been some guys that I recall who uh, came back to play for you uh, in past years because they wanted to win an Allen Cup. Jason Ward came back and played, former MVP of the AHL. and uh, Jay McKee. Jay McKee from the Buffalo Sabres and St. Louis Blues came back and played. And, and I, I, the thing about the, Jay McKee, it always blew me away because there's a guy who made, I'd have to look it up how much he made. 33 his, million. 33 million he made in his career? Okay, didn't have to look it up. And in one of your playoff games, I remember he stopped a slap shot with his collarbone. Yeah. Like it was a rising slap shot. He just got in the way and I was like... This guy does not need to go through this, and yet he did need to go through it. He won a championship, and he got a ring. It was his first championship, I guess. And, and Jason Ward's, too. That was the key yep. with Jason Ward. Um, went and met him. I got introduced to Jason Dalio, the uh, owner GM, uh, part owner GM of Hamilton Steelhawks, and he knew him from the Bulldog days. Yep. And I said, I, I'm just going to give you, you know, expense money to play. He says, Don, I've never won a championship. Well, he has now. Yeah, but I say as soon as as soon as I saw McKee stop that shot with almost his face. I mean, it was six inches away from hitting him right in the mouth. Well, and you've had you've had that before too. Yes, I, Tom Searle, I remember came back and yeah. stopped a shot with his mouth in his first game back. Jaw and, broke his jaw. Yep, that was that was no fun. Not much. And uh, it was, you know, you get these guys. The first game McKee played, which was the year before, because he joined us for the playoffs, and like he's blocking shots. I'm going like, this guy played over 700 games and he's blocking shots. So um, we took a look at the stats after the game. He blocked more shots than the rest of the team. Probably more than the goalie. <laughs> yeah, so he, he, came, he came in after the game. He was having a cup of tea with us. And I said, what's with the shot blocking? Somebody looked that up. He led the NHL two or three years oh, yeah. in shot. I mean, he said, well, that's what I do. And then I looked at his skates, the covers he had on. He had special covers on his skates, which made sense when you're, if you're going to get in the way and he just had a knack of getting in the way. It wasn't diving and blocking him with his head. I mean, he Yo. just knew the lanes to get in and they wham right in knee pads. It didn't matter though. You've still, as I say, the one that hit him up high, I mean, you've still got to have a, a I, w- I was going to say courage and I was going to say a screw loose. And I think it's somewhere in between to do that. There, there is a touch of both of those elements that you need There's to have. There's not many guys that would do it, but he nope. made a lot of money doing it. It was kind of funny because he, he pulled in and he had a Tesla, not a Tesla. It was a Dodge car. I forget what it was. It was partially. A Viper? Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. a Viper. And uh, so I heard him saying, wonder what he's getting paid. This is the guy's in the room. Of course, with Google now, and they know I try to be a little thrifty when it comes to paying players. And um, they looked it up, and he, they said, I don't think it matters. He made $33 million. That's why I knew. I don't think he's here for the money. He, yeah. was, here to win a, he was here to win a championship and uh, really took a hold of the room in the Allen Cup and, and was a big part of why we won it. If I had made $33 million doing anything, 
I can assure you that I would not be stopping pucks. No, nothing personal, but I would not be stopping pucks at the Great Meyer Arena for the Dundas Real McCoys or any other non-NHL team. That's not a shot at you guys. That is well, $33 million is $33 million. And in 2000, and, I don't know, three, I don't know, Rick Vive played. He yep. scored 53 times while the Leafs and was their captain. But I bet he didn't make $33 bucks. No, he didn't. But he made... Made money. Made big coin. For the time. It was relevant, yep. right? But those guys just want to play the game. They love playing. And yeah. they want to But, but they the thing with some. McKee was... He didn't know another way to play other than to block shots. No, that was his game. And that's the thing. Vive went out there and it was Rick Vive. He was skating around and he was taking shots and he was scoring or trying to score. I mean, McKee just, again, for him to just walk in and say, you know, I think I want to just block some shots from some guys that played OHL and college hockey and maybe some pro somewhere. But I, I think, yeah, it's a Friday night in Dundas. I think I want to stop a few slap shots with my near face. We had, I think we had eight guys that had played the National Hockey League yep. on that team. So it yep. wasn't like they were just floating around. The, the 1987 uh, brand for Mods Clamatos, we had 11 former NHLers. How many of them were blocking shots like that, though? None of them. <laughs> That's thing. Well, Donnie Edwards. Well, yeah, he better be. He had the fat <laughs> he was pads the goalie. on. Oh, yeah, he, he and he, was the... he, five years removed from winning the Vezina Trophy in Buffalo. Yep. Yep. And who was his partner who won the Vezina Trophy with him that year? Bob Sauvé. Bob Sauvé, yep. Whose uh, son... Phil played here the year that the Hamilton Bulldogs won the Calder Cup. He was the third goalie. He was the third goalie, and he is that goalie was the guy that Carey Price credits with turning him into the goalie that he is. He was his roommate, and he was the guy who lost his role when Carey Price showed up. And uh, Sove, I think it was Phil. It was Sove was uh, anyway. It was uh, all the pieces. Uh, speaking of hockey, speaking of championships, you know, I, over the weekend there's been a lot of talk over the last few days, few weeks about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and championships or not, and a lot of people talking about, you know, Austin Matthews comes over the blue line and gets hit hard and hit high and nobody does anything and other guys are getting hit. We talked a couple of weeks ago, Don, a few weeks back saying, you know, me hoping that the Maple Leaf style could be successful because you like watching a wide open offensive style. It's a fun style to watch. But I'm going back to that and saying, can you win if you are seemingly as skilled but as appears to be completely soft as the Maple Leafs? No. I just don't know if you can. You can't. You can't. Because you're going to run into somebody that's going to realize that and pound the snot out of everybody and get away with it. Like, th- we all know the game's changed. I mean, I, I'm not convinced it's better. It's great hockey, but I'm not convinced um, it, it's it's the full package anymore. Um, I don't think it would hurt the Toronto Maple Leafs to have a tie Domi floating around on the fourth line right now. Yeah, just, I- just to keep everybody honest. You know, I mean, there's not going to be a whole lot more fights. But but does it have to be a fighter? Can it not just be someone who, there's a guy who's playing with the Bulldog, or with the Marlies right now, Hamilton guy. Um, and I'll think of his name in just a moment. Uh, Ty, Tyler Gadette, who's playing with the Marlies. And in preseason, he, he's not a guy who's going to score you a lot of goals, but he will go around and bang into guys. Yep. He will throw his body around and he will, he'll scrap if you want, but he'll basically just be a physical I don't know that you need to have fighters anymore in the NHL because there really are not many fights, but you need well, to you have... you got to be able to play. I mean, Ty Domi could skate. And, no, but Godet can play. 
He yeah. can play, but he's not going to score you goals. What he's going to do is if you want to play that kind of game and you want to take a run at our big guys, he'll take a run at their big guys, and it's the nuclear deterrence. Well, the, I mean, one of the things that you need to be successful is a guy that will, after the whistle, give a guy a shot and just let him know you're around. And it probably won't draw a penalty. If it does, you'll take somebody with you. But, you know, you're going to give the give a guy the odd shot. What I don't think the Leafs have, and I think this is an important ingredient on any team that's going to win a championship. You're right. Now you don't necessarily have to have guys that will fight. You have to have guys that will, but maybe not a Ty Domi. But what I don't think the Leafs have are any mean players. And what Muzzin, I mean, Muzzin maybe. Maybe. At, at times he'll hit guys hard, but that's that's about the only guy yeah, I can I'm, think of. I'm not even talking about – when I say mean, I mean when you hit a guy in front of the net, when you cross-check him, you try and get it between the pads. You try and get him in the ribs. You try and get it between the shoulder pads and the pants. Those guys are bloody mean, and you don't want to play against them. And every team is going to need, if you're going to be successful, a couple of guys you don't want to play against. Like Marchman's mean. He'll stick you, and he won't stick you in the knee pads. He'll stick it where you don't like it, and he'll back it up. I don't know if the Leafs, the only guy the Leafs had like that, they traded to Colorado. Mm-hmm. They got rid of Kadri. And unless they're going to get some meanness in their lineup and have, have the other teams just have to pay a little bit of attention so you don't get a cracked rib or a cracked wrist and somebody whacks you one, right now I... I Use the term soft. I mean, they're just, I don't think the Leafs have any meanness in their lineup, and I don't think you can win a Stanley Cup without some. Well, we're going to find out because there's some teams that right now are looking like they have figured out a way to make it difficult on the Leafs. And that is, and look, I was watching the game the other day, and I'm I'm not, as I've said many times on the show, I don't have a problem with a fight in hockey. I hate the preordained fights where the two guys back in the day used to just yeah. line up just to fight for the sake of fighting. If you, as I say, if you get hit and you drop the gloves, I, I don't, I know it's not a big deal anymore. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But I watched a game the other night and, you know, they always say finish your check. There wasn't a Leaf who was finishing his check. If the puck went out of the corner, they turned and cycled back and it's about speed. I get that. But there's no... There doesn't seem to be a price to pay against the Leafs of any kind unless they are really flying, you know, because you say, oh, well, we'll get them on the power play. But if your power play isn't going, then what's the penalty? What's what's the harm? Well, the uh, when very talented teams are not living up to their potential and the media start sniffing around the coach and, you know, uh, how long's Babcock got? I mean, if they're not winning 70% of their games and the players all tell you they don't pay any attention to the media and the, the players are all, that's all crap. I don't believe them. They know exactly what's going on and if reports are true Mike Babcock has had to fly to Arizona a couple times to have a talk with Austin Matthews uh, maybe about keeping his pants up and why he's not playing as much as he is that's not a comfortable situation. There isn't a coach around that will tell you you got to get along with your best player. You, like you don't have to have him over for dinner, but you can't war with your best player. And the great coaches didn't didn't do that. And so if you've got some some of your elite players, Scotty Bowman did. 
Scotty Bowman. The stories were that he used to be used to war with his best players. That he used to Lafleur and Robinson and those guys. Dryden didn't love Scotty Bowman, but they liked him at the end of the year when they won the cup. All right, you were fifteen then. I was younger than that. Okay, so times have changed a little bit. If you know, like everybody walks around their phone in their hand. Well, times greatly changed. Absolutely. So you can't get away with that because the threat. The threat is I'll put I'll put you down in Nova Scotia and you'll never see the NHL again. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. No. Nope. So that threat's gone. So when your elite players are maybe not the biggest fans of the coach, and they smell blood, and there's one way to get rid of a coach: lose. Don't win any back-to-back games. You know the back-to-back thing. You're right, and look, I, I think that I think that any talk of Mike Babcock being fired is so premature because he's had a bunch of injuries on this team. You got to at least allow the guy to play with the lineup that he expected to have and see if they're going to perform when Hyman comes back and Dermot comes back and these guys you you have and and uh, Tavares comes back. But the thing with the back to back I always heard for years now teams talk about four-point games. If you play your divisional rival, it's a four-point game. When they played Saturday night against Montreal, it's a four-point game. Because you're either taking a game away from Montreal and winning two, or it's they're winning, getting two points, and you're going back. It's a four-point swing. And the Leafs ended up four points ahead of Montreal last year to get the playoffs. So knowing that you've got divisional games in these back-to-backs, I know you don't want to play Frederick Anderson a lot. But when you're having a back-to-back against a divisional game and you know that your team doesn't perform all that well in back-to-backs, why would you not break with your unbreakable code and put your give yourself your best chance to win and then you know what when we don't have a back to back when we just have a game on Wednesday night but it's not against a team in our conference we'll let the backup go in and handle that one instead of Anderson like it, if there's one thing if there's one knock that I look at Mike Babcock and have it's that he seems so completely inflexible from his plan and you end up with these situations so you gave two points to Montreal Four points, basically, to Montreal on Saturday because you didn't play your best lineup. I don't see how that makes any sense. Well, it doesn't. And there, there appears to be very little evidence he, he's going to change. I think he's got his. I think he's dug in now. He's going to say, "I'm going to show you how this works." Yeah, and and you know, are the Leafs a guaranteed playoff team this year? The way the East is, I don't think so. No. So we open Friday night in Brantford, and. Uh, we don't practice a lot. Our training camp is really short. Mike Mole played back to back, and was an next? amateur goaltender. Yep. He played Friday night in in Brantford, and he played sun, uh, sat, or Saturday night in Whitby. And did he because, die? Because we wanted to win. Yeah, did he die? No. no. Was he as good Saturday as he was Friday? Friday night he was the best player on the ice. Was he the best player on the ice on Saturday? Nobody was good enough to help us win. I, as I say, you the 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 idea that you are going to not ice your best team against your divisional rivals, to me, is nonsensical. It's nonsensical. Give Frederick Anderson a week off when you've got two Western Conference teams that you want to win, but it's not as important. You've you got, you got to win your divisional games. You could so lose. points they can You get. could end up behind the Montreal Canadiens based on the fact that you refuse to play your best lineup against them three times. They've got, they play the Canadiens three times this year. All three are the second half of a back-to-back. And you could end up playing, you could end up having those three as losses. And how does that help you by being stubborn? It's a six-point swing. And you think the players don't notice that? Of course they do. Of course they do. 
Like they're, they have the same opinion as you and I do. Probably more angry, I would guess. I'm not angry. I'm, I'm, I'm just scratching my head at why would you not put your best lineup on the ice for the most important games? Are you going to do this? In the pl- I mean, they don't play back-to-backs in the playoffs. I understand that. They always have a day off. But if it did, if you were going to have a back-to-back, would you say, no, we're not going to play Frederick Anderson in the second day of the back-to-back because that's what we do? I would hope not. But if you want to keep your job. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Don Robertson, still in studio. Thankfully, he didn't leave during the last break. <laughs> Makes it uncomfortable when he does. There was a, an outdoor game, an NHL outdoor game this weekend that until Friday night at, I don't know what time, when I saw a preview for it, I had no idea this game was even going on in Regina, uh, Calgary, and Winnipeg. Does any, we've talked about this before, but does anybody care about these outdoor games anymore? People in Regina. That's it, right? Pretty much. That's it. The people in the local market. The novelty's over. I went to the first one. Yeah, I know. When and you went to the one in uh, Detroit. Yes, the Detroit and the Leafs. And it was a huge, the Oilers did it upright. LaForge yes. did it right. They had the alumni from the Oilers and Wayne Gretzky and Guy LaFleur played in it. I mean, they, it was brilliant. It was freezing cold. It was brilliant. It was it freezing was, cold. It was a novelty then, and it was worth sitting outside. Not that I was outside very much, but... Uh, that's not where they were selling the wine. Um, it, was it was an novelty. It, it was all ice wine that day. It was, was it ever? <laughs> you know, it spilled on my glove and, and it froze on my glove. I couldn't get the cup out of my hand. So we just kept filling it up again. Um, but now it's no big deal. Like you said, you didn't know. I didn't know either. I'm going, why are they playing in Regina this time of the year? Like the Rough Riders are still playing. Now the, the, the players, the one report is, the players said the ice was as good as any building they've been in. So they got the ice figured out. But you're right. Now, but now they did go to a different market, right? You know, in Washington, they play it in Washington, and there's, there's no team in Regina since uh, while Bill Hunter couldn't get the St. Louis Blues there. So there's no team in Regina, so maybe that's what they do. They tape, take it to neighboring markets, but I don't think the people watching TV care. As a matter of fact, it's just a, it's, it's tough to watch it and enjoy it on TV. The one in Edmonton on TV was amazing. Largely because of A, the cold, and B, the alumni game. I don't think people cared all that much about the game itself. And I th- if I recall correctly, that was not a re- it wasn't a regular season game. It was an exhibition, wasn't no, it? No, it was a regular, was it regular season, season? Okay. Carey Price wore a toque under his mask. No, that was, see, that was, no, no, no. Oh, uh, Patrick Waugh. Uh, Jose Theodore. Was it Theodore? Yeah, Jose Theodore wore the toque. I told you what I was doing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then. Uh, I do remember the toque, though. <laughs> And the one in Buffalo a few years later was Sidney Crosby where the Penguins wore their old powder blue uniforms and brought those back in the snowfall. That one was cool. Yep. And then there was one in Philadelphia where they brought back all the old Philadelphia Flyers, Bernie Perrant and those guys, yep. which was good. All the rest of them, though, now they blend in. They're, I, 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 I just don't understand how the NHL has just kind of ruined what was a really great thing by doing it too much. So I think... But again, the local market seems to like it still. I, I think they make pretty good cash at it. And my understanding is what what the National Hockey League will do. If that's Winnipeg's home game, they, they pay Winnipeg the equivalent of a sellout, right? And the NHL run it. And you know what I always talk about. It's always about the money. So the National Hockey League are obviously ka-ching, ka-ching on this deal. How many were there? I don't know. Well, it was full, so there'd be 
38,000, 35,000, something like that. So more than double what um, yep. Winnipeg can get. And probably higher ticket. Well, I don't know if they'd be higher ticket prices or not. I don't know what the ticket prices were. It's a novelty. You might get 100 bucks, 100 and a half for the cheap seats. Maybe. I don't I don't think there's any particularly good seats. I I have not been to one of the outdoor games. I mean, well, that's not true. I've been to the Bulldogs one that was here at Ivan Stadium. No, no, no. It was in it was in Snowflur. Is the the night before? No, the they had an outdoor game, if you recall, at Ivan Stadium during the players' strike. Yes, in the pouring rain, which yes. was a disaster. But they had a Bulldogs one. Right, correct. And it was in, it was in the flurries, and it was quite lovely, and it was cold. And I've been to that one, but I, I just the idea when you went to Detroit, which also apparently was very cold. And it was snowing. Yeah, snowed the whole game. Yeah, I... that's when I found out. That this is really good trivia. People will really need to know this. The uh, I went up to get a couple of beers, oddly enough, in the snow, and I went to the concession stand. They said they had independent uh, places, just like stands set up, because they don't sell beer for college football or right. hockey games. Right. I I didn't know. I watched college football for a long time, thinking they were. 80% of them were hammered. Well, if they are, they're bringing their own because... Well, they're tailgating. They, yeah, they don't sell it in the stands. They don't sell it in the stadiums. I think there are a few stadiums that do now sell it. Well, Michigan didn't. Not Michigan. But there's a few that now sell it, but most places, they're dry yeah, in the NCAA. Six, that was six or seven years ago, eh? But I was I was uh, taken back, and I guess it makes some sense. You know, university kids, you don't want to start them drinking. <laughs> yeah. Football's where they're a football game is where they're gonna where they have their first taste of beer. Experiment. Yeah, really? What is this beverage? <laughs> it's brown. It's bubbly. What is this? Yeah, I, I somehow don't think that that's gonna be where the problem is going to start from if there is a problem. No, I, I I my question for the NHL is going to be where is where's the next big idea? What do you do to try and because even though, Don, I agree with you that the local market still buys in and you still fill up for that one game and whatever, for a while there, for two or three years, they, January 1st, New Year's Day has always been college football day. The NHL won January 1st for three or four years. Yep. They outdid college football with those outdoor games and then said, well, if one game on New Year's Day is good, Five is even better. And suddenly it was like, well, now who cares? Now who cares? Now we're going to watch the Arizona Coyotes play the San Jose Sharks in a parking lot somewhere. I mean, who, I don't even know. They had an outdoor game in Vegas once, too. They did. That was the very, very first one. They had it in the parking lot of Caesars Palace. They had a plague of locusts to send upon the ice and all stick to the ice. The, ki- the Kings played, I think. I the think Kings played the Rangers. Yep. The, uh, the next move for the NHL will be places like China. If they can keep their GMs from not tweeting something inappropriate, so they'll kill the market. But I but, think but you'll see that you may you may see a game in Germany, an outdoor game in Germany. Yeah, but do those? But again, do, who cares? I mean, the people in those markets care. But is there anything the NHL could possibly do to recapture the broader interest of North American sports fans who are not necessarily hockey fans who bought into this idea at the first because it looked really cool? And I don't know what the answer would be. I don't know what the answer would be. I mean, the NBA held a game on an aircraft carrier one time, an outdoor okay. game on an aircraft carrier, which was kind of cool. I don't know if you could, I don't know if the aircraft carrier is as big as a rink. I don't know if you could put the ice on there. I don't know if you want to. Well, every, time you, every time a shot goes over the glass, it lands in the ocean. <laughs> well, they're landing planes on those things. I was in San Diego once and saw it. Yeah. 
an aircraft. I mean, you could. They're huge. You, you could put the town of Dundas on that one. Pretty it was, much. It was it was big enough for lots of things. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know what the, I don't know what the thing is that is the next great idea. Because whoever it was who came up with this, it was a brilliant idea at the, the people beginning. People in Edmonton. Okay, so whoever it was in Edmonton who came up with they, the idea to host that game, it was a brilliant idea. It was a brilliant idea. I just don't know where you go from here. And, and I don't know if there is anything. I think there was beer involved with the idea. Maybe, maybe so not Why just don't beer. we do this? That's a good idea. And the wheels start turning. Well, I'm, I'm waiting eagerly for the next moment like that. We'll see who comes up with what, it. What, good idea coming out of beer? That too. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, last night, Bill Belichick and his Patriots won another game over Cleveland. Cleveland was supposed to be the team that went to the Super Bowl this year. They look awful. <laughs> they look like the Buffalo Bills for the last 20 years, more often than not. Anyway, that I believe, if I read correctly, that was Bill Belichick's 300th career win that he got last night. When you consider that a football season in the NFL is 16 games long and in a good season... A guy's going to win 10 to 11 games. Yep. That's a, I mean, that's a remarkable number to get to. Is Bill Belichick, and considering that you've got a salary cap and all these other things, is Bill Belichick the greatest coach in sports history at this point? No. Who's better? Scotty Bowman. See, I'm not sure. And I'll tell you why. Scotty Bowman, I, I agree, was fantastic, but he had no salary cap. They could just get whoever they, they could. I mean, he had to accumulate the people, and Sam Pollock did that largely. I'm not taking anything away from Scotty Bowman. Well, then you've got to start taking into consideration the GM for New England if you're going to. Which is mostly Belichick. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, like Scotty Bowman would definitely be in the conversation, unquestionably. Uh, John Wooden at yeah. UCLA would definitely be in the conversation. But considering the salary cap to me is what makes it. So unique. It's his longevity too. Like he consistently wins. Like uh, Shula won in Miami, but when the WFL come along and Zonka and Kick and Warfield all signed to play for the Toronto Norsemen, but you know they they got decimated with a rival league. But it's hard to be that good that long. And you're right. Now is it 300 career wins or regular season wins? I think it's regular season, but I'd have to because it makes that. a big difference with him because yep. he's in the playoffs all the time. Yep. He's winning two or three playoff games a year. But somebody mentioned the other day, well, I brought this up the, uh, yesterday or I, today, I don't know, when I was talking to somebody, and they said, well, what about the guy, I can't think of his name now, from Laval, who wins every year in the Vanier Cup? He said, yeah, but the difference is that guy, if you're a football player of university age in Quebec, you're, you go to Laval. He gets the pick of every single good player, and everybody else can have what's left over. And they don't have a salary cap. And there's no salary cap. They're not supposed to pay him at all, but no, but the, but the, he's also got guys twenty five years old. But the fact is, he there are no limits to who he can. He's not paying them, but he can pay, take whatever great players he wants. Imagine if in the NFL there was no salary cap now, and you would have the New Eng, the New York Giants, and you would have the L.A. Rams probably now, and a few other teams in these massive markets who could just pay whatever. But you can't. You have to constantly. And the thing about Belichick that to me makes him so intriguing is that he is so ruthless. If a player is showing any sign of fading a bit, even if he's been around forever, we'll get rid of him, we'll trade him, we'll do whatever we have to. Take him out behind the barn. Well, I wasn't saying shoot him. <laughs> Put him out of his misery. But, 
But like he is a guy. It will be. We we are here to win football games. We can be friends, hopefully down the road, maybe if you want to be. But I I'm not worried about your feelings right now. I'm here to win football. I like guys like that. I got lots of friends. I'm not looking for any new ones. Now, where you go, son? I I I cannot think that there is a greater coach in sports than Belichick. Not likable. And that that's a whole different argument. That's see, a whole different argument. See, Billy Martin was pretty good in his day and in his era, but when I, but when you talk about longevity, I mean, he hasn't been winning for two years. I mean, he he's not Joel Quenville where he won back to back Stanley Cups. I mean, he's won multiple Super Bowls, six, and, and been there. And how many times have they missed the playoffs since he's been there? Once or twice. Like that's unbelievable. I mean, Earl Weaver, you could probably put into yeah. that category, but nobody with Connie Mack. Yeah, if you really want to go back, I mean, if we're going way, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the the, the point is, the the one the names we're coming up with, and who who else would you put in? Is there any other hockey coach that you would put in that list? I don't think so. Not Al Arbor, probably no. Well, Al Arbor was had the four in a row, yeah, and was terrific, but that's I don't four, know that that's four in a row. But I don't know that that puts him in the all time yeah, greatest no, I, ever for when you're talking about career yeah. wise. Yep. Uh, basketball wise, I mean. Red Auerbach, maybe, maybe, but I don't even know that he's up. Anyway, I just, to me, it's a remarkable, it remarkable, a remarkable thing feat. that you could be this good for this long with so many restrictions on what you're able to do and so many limits on how you can build a team. How I think they get around the salary cap thing, because the salary cap's the key, right? When you sit down and talk to a guy, do you want to win a ring? You know, if you've made enough And are you money, willing to play for me the way we do it? Because you're going to come here and play my way, but you'll win. That's right. Are you prepared to check your ego at the door? Maybe leave a uh, maybe leave a million dollars on on the table, but you might have a couple Super Bowl rings. You can dine out on that for the rest of your life in the speaking circuit. Yeah, and the speaking circuit, you know, they serve good chicken at a lot of these banquets. Rubbery. Uh, just before we say goodnight, Don, first uh, your home opener for the Real McCoys this Friday night. This Friday night we play the. Ha- this Friday night we play the Hamilton Steelhawks, and it is the Wall of Fame game where um, the recipients, all five of them, will be introduced to the crowd and reception in the Hockeyville room up afterwards. It should be a fun night. And if you have not seen the revamped, rebuilt, redone JL Great My Arena, only seven years behind due. Actually, it was only two years, but felt like seven. Was, uh, this is your chance. It's uh, It's fabulous. It really looks great. This is your chance. Game time is what? 7.30. 7.30 in Dundas, Jail, Great My Arena, the Market Street Arena. You can go see that Dundas versus Hamilton. Don, thanks for doing this as always. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.